Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories, the bedtime story podcast for grown-ups. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. I hope you're all staying safe, staying away from social media and the news unless it's mine. On tonight's episode, I have a few silly jokes for you. They're pretty stupid, but they made me laugh, so maybe they'll amuse the rest of you. Then, I have a story called A Night in the Sewers I think you'll all enjoy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the Knox family. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm, comfort at bedtime for a long time to come. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. I would like to welcome our newest Patreon patrons, Janet Young and Haley Watson, to our little Knox bedtime family here. And thank you to the rest of our patrons and dedicated listeners to push us over 100,000 downloads last week. I'm looking for more Patreon patrons. Ask yourself this question. What is a good night's sleep worth to you? Does the podcast help you fall asleep and feel safe once a month? Once a week? Five days a week? If it does, please consider becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month. That's basically the price of a cup of coffee. There are various rewards for you, including bonus content. These episodes can take an excess of 20 hours to put together. I do a lot to make sure these are as comforting as possible for all of you, and this is my only income. So, if you would like to become a patron, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Join Patreon button or patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Before we get to tonight's story, instead of a good news story or quotes, I found some amusing jokes that will hopefully bring a smile to your face. The first one is called dead dog. A man runs into the vet's office carrying his dog screaming for help. The vet rushes him back to an examination room and has him put his dog down on the examination table. The vet examines the still limp body and after a few moments tells the man that his dog regrettably is dead. The man clearly agitated and not willing to accept this demands a second opinion. The vet goes into the back room and comes out with a cat and puts the cat down next to the dog's body. The cat sniffs the body, walks from head to tail, poking and sniffing the dog's body and finally looks at the vet and meows. The vet looks at the man and says I'm sorry but the cat thinks your dog is dead too. The man is still unwilling to accept that his dog is dead. So the vet brings in a black Labrador retriever. The lab sniffs the body, walks head to tail, and finally looks at the vet and barks. The vet looks at the man and says, I'm sorry, but the lab thinks your dog is dead too. 
The man finally resigned to the diagnosis, thanks the vet, and asks how much he owes. The vet answers, $650. $650 to tell me that my dog is dead, exclaims the man. Well, the vet replies, I would have only charged you $50 for my initial diagnosis. The additional $600 was for the CAT scan and lab tests. Get it? CAT scan and lab tests? I thought it was funny. Alright, this one is called Good News and Bad News. A large passenger train was crossing the country. After they had gone some distance, one of the two engines broke down. No problem, the engineer thought and carried on at half power. Farther on down the line, the other engine broke down and the train came to a standstill. The engineer decided he should inform the passengers about why the train had stopped and made the following announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that both engines have failed and we will be stuck here for some time. The good news is that you're not on an airplane. Okay, yeah, they were stupid, but if you didn't chuckle, you lack a sense of humor. Okay, now let's get into bed. Say to yourself, my bedroom is a place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, A Night in the Sewers, set to sleep-inducing music and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Perhaps some of my fair readers will consider me a disagreeable person for telling them something I know about kid gloves. Perhaps they will not believe me when I tell them that in Paris and elsewhere there exists, or did exist not very long ago, an extensive trade in the skins of common rats, and that these skins when dressed and dyed are converted into those delicate coverings for the hands, commonly called kid gloves and supposed to be manufactured from the hides of immature goats. I was acquainted with a dog dealer in Paris, a Dane whose name was Beck. To him I went one day, bent upon obtaining a terrier dog of good intellect and agreeable manners, who should be a companion to me in my lodgings for single gentlemen and whose gambols might serve to amuse me in my lighter hours when, after work, I would make little pedestrian excursions in the neighborhood for the sake of exercise and air. Beck's kennel was comprised in a small yard at the back of a rickety house, and when I entered, Persuasion hardly needed to induce me to stand as near the center 
of the enclosure as possible in order to keep it chain's length from what the French call bulldogs, several of which ill-looking canines formed a portion of Beck's stock and trade. Here, said Mr. Beck, in reply to a question of mine, and in pretty good English, here in this box I have a small dog of a kind of quite fashionable now. They call him a Sky Terrier, and I have given him the name of Dane, because he comes from far north like myself, and has long yellow hair. With these words, Mr. Beck laid hold of a chain, and drawing it sharply, jerked out from among some straw, a creature made up apparently of tow and wire, with a pair of eyes like black beads glittering through the shocks of hair that fell over its head. The animal seemed cowed, and I did not think much of him at first. He has had bad usage, said Mr. Beck. First time I saw him was yesterday, when he burst in at my back door with a horseshoe fastened to his tail. There you see, I have nailed the shoe over the door of his box. He will be a lucky bargain for whoever buys him. You may depend upon that. Good upon rats, asked I. Know nothing about him, replied Mr. Beck honestly. Never saw him before yesterday. They all take the water kindly though. These skies do. And if you want to try him at rats, I can put you in the way of it. Somehow, I took to the ragged little beast. And so, I paid Mr. Beck 60 francs for him and 10 more for the little wooden kennel with the horseshoe nailed upon it. I have a great regard for horseshoes as insurers of luck, because once when I had picked up one on the road and carried it home in my pocket, I found a letter on my table informing me that I had come in for a small legacy through the death of an aged kinswoman whom I had never met. What with good treatment and diet, the frequent bath, and the free use of the comb, it was not many days before Master Dane became a very presentable dog, and had quite recovered his pluck and spirits. He bullied and banished forever to the housetop, a large tortoiseshell cat, that had hitherto commanded the garrison, and I thought one day I should like to try him at rats. So out I sallied him in search of Mr. Beck, who promised to put me in the way of getting some sport of the kind. That versatile gentleman was not in his kennel when I called, but his wife told me that I would find him in the skinnery, attached to the establishment, and asking me to follow her, she ushered me into a long, low apartment, lighted with a row of circular windows. The odor of the place was very pungent and disagreeable. There were several wooden tanks, 
ranged along one wall of the room, and on lines stretched along by the windows, a number of small skins were hung to dry. Mr. Beck, assisted by a couple of young boys, was busily engaged in stirring the contents of the tanks. A dead rat on the floor immediately engaged the attention of Dane, who seized it in his teeth, shook it savagely for a moment, and then pitched it away from him, apparently in disgust at finding it already dead. What do you make of the rat skins, inquired I, after I had looked on for a while. Money, rejoined Mr. Beck curtly, but the man I dress them for makes them into gloves, ladies' gloves of the primest quality. Ladies have rats about them in more ways than one, then said I. Where do you get the raw material? The rat hunters supply me. Their hunting grounds lie under the streets of Paris. Would you like to have a day in the sewers with your terrier? Simon A will be here in a few minutes, and you can go the rounds with him if you will. Just what I wanted, and so I sat upon a bench and waited, and presently a man came in. He was a low-sized squat fellow of about 40, with heavy round shoulders and bowed legs, and his head and face were almost entirely covered with a thatch of tangled red hair, out from which there appeared a couple of greenish eyes of very sinister expression. He had a leathern sack slung over his shoulder, and carried in his hand a long wand of birch, brushy with the twigs left upon it at one end. On the round, said Simonet, said Mr. Beck, addressing the agreeable-looking gentleman. Well, here's a monsieur who would like to go with you. He wants to try his terrier at the rats. You can make your own bargain with him. Then, looking at me, he continued, Better leave your coat with my old woman, who will give you a clean blouse instead. Madam took my coat and gave me a strong blouse and somewhat greasy cap, and in this guise, I went forth with Simonet, who immediately plunged into the thick of the city slums. After having gone some distance, we entered a dismal and dirty office, in which a man turning over some piles of documents, after a few whispered words with my guide, handed him a bunch of heavy keys, and we again went out into the streets. Entering a paved courtyard, a declivity led us down to a sort of tunnel, the entrance to which was barred by a heavy grated door, which Simonet opened with one of the keys, locking it again as soon as we got in. We are on one of the main sewers now, Monsieur, said he, in a squeaky rat-like voice. You must be careful to keep close by me and not stray away into any of the branches. 
It was pitch dark as I looked before me into the tunnel. Dark and awful and silent, but for the gliding, oozing sound of slowly flowing water. Simon A. produced a lantern which he lit, and I could see by the dim light thrown from it that we were in a vast stone passage, through the center of which there ran a dark, deep stream. Between the wall and the stream on either side, there was a broad pathway or ledge, and along this the rat hunter motioned me to follow him. Soon we reached a turn in the tunnel, and here Simon A., after searching, about upon the wall for a moment, found a rusty nail in it, upon which he hung his lantern. Then, producing a couple of torches from his sack, he lighted them and handed one to me. There is a birch wattle hid away somewhere here, said he. Ah, yes, here it is. Take it, monsieur, and use it just as you shall see me do when we get among the rats. Keep close to me, else you may get lost in the drains. Dane grew very excited now, and ran ahead of us a good way, and presently we heard a great rushing and squeaking, and the suppressed snarling of the little dog as he worried the rats. Then we saw many rats running hither and thither, some of them so scared by the light of the torches as they came near us that they leapt into the water while others ran up the wall from which we quickly knocked them with our waddles. Simon A did not put them into his bag but left them where they fell saying that his custom was to pick them up on the way back. The dog behaved wonderfully well, fighting and shaking the rats that fell in his way with great fierceness and pluck. At last, when we had killed about a hundred of them, we thought it time to rest. Simon A produced a short black pipe, and as I was filling mine, he cast a wistful look at my tobacco pouch, thinking probably that the article contained in it must be of a quality superior to that of the cheap stuff smoked by him. So I poured half of the contents of it into his hand, and he filled his pipe from it with a grin of satisfaction on his ugly face. It will soon be time for us to turn back, said he. After a while, the best place for rats is a little way further on, and it will be too late to try it if we don't go forward now. On we went, slashing right and left at the rats, most of which, I noticed, were on a very black color here, as if belonging to a peculiar colony that existed in this part of the tunnel. As we rounded a corner, however, a very large white rat ran past us and disappeared down a cross gallery that led away to the left. 
Wishing to secure this animal as a trophy, I hallooed the terrier upon its tracks and was about following the chase when Simon A laid his hand upon my arm and whispered in a tone of entreaty, Don't risk your life, Monsieur. He who follows the white rat of the sewer is likely never to find his way back alive. There's a blight about the creature, and old stories are afloat of how it has led rat hunters away into dangerous parts of the sewers, like a jack-o'-lantern, and then set upon them with a number of its kind and picked their bones clean. Breaking away from the fellow with a jerk that knocked the pipe out of his hand and sent it spinning into the black water below, I ran down and by sewer after the terrier, whose whimper as though he were yet in full chase, I could hear at a good distance ahead of me. When I came up with him, which I did only after having taken several turns, he seemed at fault, head up and tail down and gazing with a very puzzled expression up at the vaulted roof. There was no white rat to be seen, nor could I detect any aperture in the walls into which the creature could have made its escape. Then a sort of superstitious fear fell upon me, as I thought of Simon A's warning, and with a word of encouragement to the dog, I hastened to retrace my steps, shouting loudly every now and then, so as to let the rat hunter know of my whereabouts. But no responsive hello came back to my call. Not a sound was to be heard, but the hollow beat of my footsteps on the damp, moldy path and the squeaking here and there of the rats as we disturbed them from their feast on some garbage fished up by them from the slimy bed of the drain. Excited at the position in which I found myself, I now began to make reckless detours, hither and thither, until, thoroughly exhausted by my exertions, I leaned my back against the wall and tried to remember such marks as might have been observed by me in the tunnel since I had parted from Simonet. The only marks of the wayside that I could recall, however, were the dead rats left by us upon the ledge as we passed, and of these, I had seen none while I was trying to retrace my steps. Arguing from this, and from the fact that Simon A did not respond to my shouts, which I continued to utter at intervals, I began to feel an extremely unpleasant nervous shiver creeping over me, suggestive of all the horrors about which I had ever read or dreamed. The little dog lay cowering at my feet, as if he too were somewhat dejected.
disgusted at the prospect of being eaten alive by avenging rats. And to crown the situation, just as I nerved myself for another effort to recover the lost clue, my torch went out with a malignant flicker, and I found myself in a black darkness. Sinking down at the foot of the wall, I now gave myself up for lost. Even had the torch not been quite burnt out, I had no means of relighting it, having used my last match when we stopped the smoke. Just before I broke away from my guide, I think I must have become somewhat delirious now, for I have a faint recollection of wild songs chanted, and of yells that made the vaulted roof ring again. Then, a heavy sleep must have fallen upon me, which probably lasted for several hours, and then I awoke to a dim consciousness of horror. As I began to realize, the terrible situation into which I had brought myself by reckless folly. My dog was still nestling close to me, and it may have been to his presence, perhaps that I owed the fact of my not having been mangled by rats during my sleep. Rising with difficulty to my feet, for I was stiff, from lying so long upon the damp cold ground, I once more tried to shout, but my voice was utterly gone. From my previous exertion of it, and I could not raise it above a whisper. Then, in sheer desperation, I dragged myself along the wall, feeling the way with my hands and had not gone many paces when I felt an angle in the masonry, on rounding which a ray of hope dawned upon me, as I discerned a faint light far far away, at the end of what seemed to be all but an endless shaft of darkness. The prospect of escape infused new vigor into my weary limbs and I kept steering onward for the light, which grew larger and larger as I approached it. At last, I got near enough to see that it came through a small grill or iron door, which terminated the branch of the sewer in which I was. When I reached the grating, I saw that it looked out upon the river between which and it. However, there lay a deep indentation or channel of some 50 or 60 yards in length. It was gray morning, and I could see boats and streamers and ships passing and repassing upon the river. Surely, deliverance was now at hand, but how was I to make my situation known? My voice, as I have said, was utterly gone and I had barely strength left to wave my pocket handkerchief from the grating. There I stood for hours, a prisoner, looking wistfully through the bars of a dungeon to which no wayfarer came. I had sunk down at the foot of the grating from mere exhaustion, when the whining of my little dog attracted me, 
and I gave him a caressing pat. He licked my face and whined again, as much as to say, can't I be of some use to you? This brought a bright idea to my mind. Tearing a leaf from a notebook, I wrote the following words upon it with pencil. I have lost my way in the sewers. You will find me at the grating just opposite a large buoy marked X. Come quickly. Placing this inside my India rubber tobacco pouch, I bound it tightly with a strip from my pocket handkerchief to Dane's collar, and then, taking the little fellow gently in my arms and speaking a word or two of dog talk to him, I dropped him from his grating into the stream below, which was running out fast enough to prevent him from trying to return, nor was it too long before I had the satisfaction of seeing him swimming boldly out toward the river, as if he knew perfectly well what he was about to do. I had no fears but that somebody in a boat would pick him up before he was exhausted, because this kind of dog can live for a great while in the water. Yet he was gone for a long, long time, at least it seemed a long time to me, and I saw the distant boats passing and repassing, and the steamers and ships, and heard the cheery voices of the mariners as I held on there by the iron grating half dead. At last, a boat, pulled by two men and steered by a third, shot up into the channel, and the boatman raised a joyful shout as I waved my handkerchief to them from my prison bars. The steersman held my dog upon his knee, but the faithful animal broke away from him when he saw me, and would have jumped overboard in his eagerness to reach me, had he not been caught by one of the men. When the boat had come quite close under the grating, I saw that it was manned by men of the river guard. They told me that one of their number had gone round to report the matter to the proper authorities, and that assistance would quickly be at hand, and one of them, standing on the thwarts of the boat, reached up to me a flask of brandy and a biscuit, after having partaken of which I felt sufficiently revived to be very thankful for my escape from a horrible death. In less than an hour, keys were brought by an officer connected with the sewers, and I was released from my disagreeable position, much to the joy of Dane, who covered me with caresses after his honest doggy fashion nor half-starved as the little animal must have been, would be a touch of morsel of biscuit until after he had seen me safe in the boat. The next thing to be done was to make a search for Simon A, who had not made his appearance in the upper regions since we entered the sewers. Men were sent after him, and he was found in a half-stupefied condition just where I had left him, among the dead rats. 
He could give little or no account of himself, save that his torch had gone out, just as he was about to start in search of me, and that a stupor came over him. Then he sat down and fell asleep. This was all accounted for afterwards. Having lost his pipe, as I have said, he sought to assuage his cravings for stimulants by chewing or rather eating quantities of the tobacco with which I had furnished him, and this proved on examination to have been taken by me in mistake from a jar in which opium had been copiously mixed with the milder narcotic for experimental purposes. Probably the little I had smoked of it in my pipe had somewhat affected me, and Simon A. averred that he thought it must have been the smell of it that saved us from being eaten by the rats. A few franc pieces, a new pipe, and a reasonable stock of the best tobacco made a happy man of that rare old gutter snipe, but nothing could induce him to make any further reference to the white rat at the very mention of which, he would scowl horribly and retire, as it were, behind the mass of red hair, which his face was fringed. As for me, I believe more in horseshoes than ever, since the adventure narrated above. I had a small one made in silver for Dane, and this the faithful animal wore suspended from his collar, as a charm until he went the way of all dogs, full of honors and of years. Thank you all for listening, and if you enjoyed Knox Bedtime Stories, please become a Patreon patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can keep Knox Bedtime Stories, helping tens of thousands of people around the world get a good night's sleep as well as get various rewards such as tiers, extra episodes, books, your name on our webpage, and more to come. You can sign up at KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click on the Patreon link or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. Become a part of a great community. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. May the best of your days be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.